Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we're going to dig into the second beatitude taught by Jesus in His Sermon on the Mount. That means our passage today is Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, who exactly does Jesus have in mind here? There are lots of things that we might mourn over in this world. Some kind of loss of a loved one or a thing of value. Something we've done that we might regret. But what does Jesus mean by those who mourn? Mourn exactly over what? And there are lots of things that might comfort us, like an ice cream on a hot day or, or a comfy bed to sleep in at night. But what does Jesus mean by being comforted here? These are questions that we'll be investigating all week. And for the moment, here is today's slice of the sermon entitled, Good Morning, spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Notice he mentions comfort several times. And he mentions, I was comforted because of your mourning. Titus went to Corinth on Paul's behalf. He probably read and taught them 1 Corinthians, and he came back to where Paul was in Ephesus with a good report of the response to his letter, and mourning was part of that response. Though it's not the same word as as the, the word for mourning in this beatitude, it's one of those other eight, and it conveys pretty much the same idea, along with the connotation that they were more outward with their sorrow over their sin because it had been a public collective rebuke and there was a public collective response that had taken place. And Titus could say, God moved them using your word. Now read on in 2 Corinthians 7, 8 and 9. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, another word related to mourning, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrow, sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything. There is one time that is clearly God's will for you to be sorrowful, for you to mourn. And that's when you've recognized your sin. And he said, this moved you to repentance, a change of mind with an accompanying change or, of behavior in light of sin. Now, there's repentance in the sense of changing your mind and changing your direction, as in hearing the gospel and coming to Christ. And that, that, in that sense, when we say someone repented, that's another way of saying someone believed, someone came to faith, someone was, someone was saved, someone professed Christ. But there's also that in the Christian life. Look at verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, for 
the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. Saying, look, think back to when you came to faith. That was a, that was a drastic change of direction. Then I had to rebuke you for some of the things that you were doing in mishandling the Word of God, in, in, in not living up to who you are. You were still acting like babies, even though you should have been mature in Christ. But he says, the sorrow of the world produces death. You have manifested the sorrow that is according to the will of God. Now, what's the difference between what Paul calls the sorrow of the world and sorrow according to God? Well, the difference is the difference between being sorry you got in trouble and being sorry for your sin. Being sorry that Something you did maybe damaged a relationship versus realizing, I have offended Almighty God. That's the difference. Only the most callous, demented kind of people aren't sorry when they face the consequences of their sin. The world has invented terms like sociopath and psychopath to describe people who, who don't have any conscience, who don't have any, any sense of, uh, of right and wrong, and they're just so wrapped up in themselves that they, they, they do whatever they want. But everybody, generally speaking, recognizes when there's consequences to their sin. The sorrow that Jesus wants, the mourning that He blesses, is recognizing that sin itself is the issue, whether or not there are earthly consequences involved. Not only do we have that um, general description from Paul, let me give you a, a flesh and bones example. Remember David in the Old Testament, how he sinned with his uh, giving in to his lustful desire, and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Then he made it worse. He compounded the sexual sin by trying to manipulate her husband Uriah. Then he added more lies. He compounded the whole thing. He forsook the welfare of his own army and he arranged for Uriah to be killed. In essence, he arranged for his murder. And then he topped it off with his own plunge into polygamy by marrying Bathsheba, even though he was already married. And then you know the story how God used the prophet Nathan, who finally got through to David, and David turned from that illustration of spiritual pond scum into an example of true confession, true repentance. As you read through the book of Psalms, remember the numbers 32 and 51. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are both understood to have been written by David to express his heart after he admitted his sin, after he turned from it. Listen to some of what he wrote, Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me against you. You only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge, referring to what Nathan had told him. And he's admitting, yeah, I was, I was wrong. 
Now look at those words. Against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Well, what about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What about your whole army? See, he's realizing those were awful, but they were the side effects of the sin, the sin that is ever before me. He went further in acknowledging his understanding of the sinfulness of his heart. Back in Psalm 19, he says, Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. David is understanding and saying, Look, I, I, will, I will confess to you, but I know my own heart is so deceitful that I might not even be seeing it all. So acquit me of my hidden one. I, I want to be, I want my sin dealt with, not just the ones I get around to manifesting. I want to deal with my relationship with you. Now understand this, this is very important. Apologizing when you sin against somebody, apologizing for specific incidents, that's important, very important in, in keeping relationships healthy. But that's not the same as recognizing the sinfulness that resides in your heart. Don't fall into the, the ditch of thinking that since Jesus died for all your sins and now you stand in His grace, therefore, when you do something wrong, all you have to do is check off that box and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and then let's move on. If you're not dealing with the depth of the sin, which all originates from your heart, you're not really getting to the issue. It, it should grieve you when you harm someone, when you snap at somebody in your family, when you pop off, when you, when you deal with, with some evil thought. You should deal with that. You should ask, ask for forgiveness. But it should bother you even more that you understand why you need to ask for forgiveness than that you actually have to ask for forgiveness. Do you, do you get it? We're not just talking about dealing with us, this on a, on a surface level. And when you look back at Matthew 5, 4, understand that that word mourn is one of those present tense participles. It means the kind of person I bless is the kind of person who is constantly grieved over his sin. My goal this morning is to make you as miserable as possible all the time. No, that's not it. There's another half to this verse, all right? Don't, don't, don't leave it there. But there is no time in your life on this earth when grief over sin, when contrition over sin becomes unwarranted. You know, Martin Luther's famous 95 theses that he nailed to the wall of the church in Wittenberg, supposedly touching off the, the Protestant Reformation, certainly a momentous day. Um, in the first of his 95 theses, Luther said that the entire life should include continuous repentance. Well, I think he'd read Matthew 5, 4. 
He understood that he had jumped through all of those hoops, doing all of those things, all of those times, constantly on a treadmill to try to gain merit before God, and he realized, I'm spiritually bankrupt. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.